One of the scriptures that has been appointed for reading throughout the world church today is a passage from the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. This passage comes just before Jesus is entering the period that we call his passion, that we just celebrated a few weeks ago and remembered the time in which he is arrested and tried and executed as an innocent person and then raised from the dead. Here, Jesus is praying. I know it's an odd to think of Jesus as praying. We say and believe and know through our experience that Jesus is God among us. And so why would God pray? Such is one of the mysteries of the gospel story. Jesus is praying to the one he calls Father, is a way of affirming that God is in relationship to God's self, even as we are in relationship to ourselves and each other. God is speaking with God, and also Jesus is human and divine, fully each, and so prays as we pray, though his prayer is perfected in himself and in God's work in the world. So hear Jesus' prayer for his followers from John 17. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me. Because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them. And not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost so that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in them. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, 
so that they also may be sanctified in the truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. I was in my first year in seminary working part-time in field education in a church outside of Philadelphia in Glenside, Pennsylvania. One of my responsibilities was the junior high youth group. Now there's a baptism of fire. As it turned out, one of the young people of the congregation, then a college junior, was home on break the week that I was doing a retreat for the junior high kids in the church. She volunteered, whoops, one day after church to come along and help out. I said, great, I could use all the help I can. And she came and she helped. And during the course of this retreat with the junior high school students, she became passionate. She began to talk to them about Jesus in a way that I didn't normally hear people talk about Jesus in that congregation. She talked about Jesus as a friend. She talked about Jesus as a partner, as one with whom she was in conversation daily. And she was eager for those young students to understand Jesus in that way. One of those evenings, we had an opportunity to talk. And I said to her, tell me about your passion. Where did all this come from? And she said, I found it just, just recently in college. And I tell you, she said, I am so upset with my church as much as I love it for never telling me all the years I was growing up here that Jesus is real. Jesus was an idea, I was told. Jesus was a moral lesson, I was told. Jesus was all about how I treat my brothers and sisters and my parents and what I do in school. But no one ever told me Jesus is someone I could pray to and know and be known by. My life has come alive because I met another student at my college who knew Jesus that way, and she introduced me to Jesus and taught me how to pray, and here I am today wanting to do the same for these children in this youth group. I loved her enthusiasm. It was rough. It had rough edges, of course, as enthusiasm always does. Think about a new love in your life. It's rough. It still needs, the edges need to be rounded out, but it's alive and real and full. And so was hers. A few years later, I met an esteemed, noble, experienced, grand, articulate theologian of the Catholic Church by the name of David Tracy, then a professor at the University of Chicago, and an author of great tomes, who in his own way said exactly the same thing. When he said to me one afternoon over a lunch of peanut butter sandwiches that what he had learned most importantly as a theologian of the church is that if a theologian doesn't pray, they're only left to gossip. Prayer is the beginning of our thinking. Relationship is the beginning of our knowing. And you can even go back to St. Augustine 
whose words we prayed this morning in our prayer of confession, who talked about three ways of believing for people of faith. First, believing in God, which is what we are pretty good at as Presbyterians, believing in the idea, talking about it and refining it and getting it right, believing in God. And then there's believing for God, which is being involved in the work of God in the world. Hearing the mandate, going out and making a difference, serving the poor, compassion for the sick, help for the captives, believing in the world for God. The third approach to faith that Augustine talked about, which is in fact a bit harder, can sometimes take a lifetime, even if it comes in an instant, is believing with God. All three, very important. Believing in God, believing for God, believing with God in relationship, in the life of prayer and love and hope. So, what we heard from the Gospel of John. This curious passage from John 17, read in your hearing today, is a passionate prayer of Jesus to the one, the parenting God, the one he calls Father. A prayer of love for the people who had been following him. A prayer of relationship. A prayer that overflows from believing in to believing for to believing with. In this prayer, we have a sense of Jesus in relationship to God to himself, to creation, to his followers, in loving, caring relationship with us, with the church, with God's very creation. Jesus treats his followers personally, not as an institution, not as a church, but as people who are in relationship to him. He prays for their protection. He prays with a parenting love that pushes them into the world, but protects them from the forces of the world that would hurt them. He prays seeking unity, the same unity that he and the one he calls Father know, so that he might be in the same unity with those who follow him, so that they might be in the same unity with each other. It is a stunning passage in the Gospel of John. John is, ironically, the most theologically reflective of the Gospels that we have. There are long theological excursuses. John is very good at believing in God. And yet John, the Gospel of John is also about what the disciples are out doing in the world making tents in the world, believing for. But even alongside the great theological reflections throughout that gospel, the last of the gospels written, there is this yearning desire for relationship. Jesus' prayers in the gospel of John are long, and they're heartfelt, and they're dear. What kind of church would make sense of the prayer that you heard read 
What would we be doing so that someone from the outside who looked at us could say, yes, Jesus would pray that prayer for those people. Jesus loves them that way. Well, if the prayer gives any hint to us, I think we would be a group of people, much like we are, a little different. We're in the world. We're part of life. We're not separate. We're not in an enclave. We're actually pretty active and involved in life out there. I know you all, and I know how busy you are doing great things and engaging in life as you find it. We're a pretty ragtag bunch also. We're pretty worldly. Not just here at Pinnacle, but everywhere in every church wherever anyone worships. We are very, very human. In fact, like Jesus' followers, we even experience sabotage. Remember, Judas was always there. In any human community, we wrestle. But that early community around Jesus, just as we, began to see a truth that the world did not yet know. And they were blessed by the truth of Christ with them, and they were willing, therefore, to need him. We are taught in this room, I think, from our early childhood that Independence in life means not needing anyone. How wrong that is. The followers of Jesus were independent, alive, and mature precisely because they needed him so. And so do we. All mine are yours, Jesus has prayed. Jesus prayed, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, he prayed, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. We're always trying to define the church as something that has an analogy to other things in the world. We're actually a business, you know, or we're really a community. No, no, we're a movement. No, no, we're a social work agency. No, we are a political action committee of, some, of a certain kind. We're a caregiving organization. We're an entertainment venue. We're a tradition. We're a great big committee. That's the Presbyterian version. Okay. We're all of those things, and yet we are actually none of those things. For we are actually church, which might include those things. But in its essence and in its purpose and in God's eye, it is something different. We are a body in relationship with Jesus, blessed by Jesus. And we are together, we're one, because of that. Because we are loved by Jesus. No other reason. We're not church because we agree, or because we are effective, or because we are worthy. We don't, we aren't, and we never will be. 
we're church? Because we sense Christ's love. And in Christ's love, we want to become his people. Jesus is praying for a group of folks who he helps be different. And Jesus is praying for a group of folks who he helps be adventurous. As you have sent me into the world, he prayed, so I have sent them into the world. They breathe in by being with me and in prayer and in learning and in walking with me. And they breathe out by being part of his ministry. And we too breathe in by prayer Breathe out by mission. The balance is key. If we are just out there believing for God, our tank will run out of gas pretty quick. If we are just in here struggling to believe in God and taking care of ourselves, we will miss the fullness of the very God with whom we seek to believe. Jesus is praying for a group of folks who he helps be different. And Jesus is praying for a group of folks who he helps be adventurous. And Jesus is praying for a group of folks he invites into relationship and who join him there. John's gospel is the gospel in which we are called Jesus' friends. Just two chapters earlier, he says this, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. We are friends of Christ. Which is the only reason why, despite all of our differences and our craziness, We are friends with each other. And that includes each one of us individually and all of us together. It's a life-changing relationship. And you know relationships. You know those essential relationships in your life to which you are vulnerable. People who need you and who you need. Those relationships have highs and lows. But that's true in all of Scripture. People are wrestling with God in Scripture. His disciples are wrestling with Jesus. There are ups and there are downs. There's misunderstanding and there's insight. We cede a bit of ourselves to those relationships and our power. We allow ourselves to be needed just as we allow ourselves to need. We are interdependent, not codependent, because we are so close that we find ourselves with each other, as we find ourselves with Christ. Christ's fate is ours. Our fate is his. Jesus' followers, those disciples, are not perfect, but they're willing. And they're ready for the joy that following brings. For Jesus says this, I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy made complete in themselves. Which I think means this. I'm with them right where they are. 
And with me, they will be connected to what is really real, what is amazingly freeing beyond what they could ever do on their own. So back to my dear young friend in Glenside, Pennsylvania. It is so important that we think about what we believe. So very, very important. Because there is something different about who we are and how we think. And it is so very important that we go out and we do. And we change the world on the basis of what we learn. But it is oh so, so very important that we do all of that through Christ and in Christ and with Christ. Everything we are, everything we do together as a church and each one of us in our own believing is best begun in listening silence. It's best to be bathed in prayer and it's best to be sharpened in worship. Lest all we do be just gossip about God and not life with God. So in response to this, I want to commit to you today, in light of John 17, that over the next year, I will actively encourage all of our committees and our programs and our groups and our projects and our mission teams to wrap our work as a church in relationship with Christ, even more than we already do. To begin our work in quiet listening, to let prayer lead us, to let prayer guide us to trust and to be ready for the surprises and the adventure and the joy and the relationship that that might bring along. And I want to ask you to hold me accountable to that. And I want to invite each one of you in your own lives, with your loved ones, in other circles or projects or work that you're committed to, to do the same. And we will find that intimacy that makes sense of that beautiful prayer of Jesus. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. Amen.